Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. So Nico, uh, Darren was just telling us that he's a coronavirus truther. Well, what is a truther exactly? Well, somebody who tells uh, the truth about coronavirus. Tell, uh, tell it to the, you've got your platform, Dan. Tell it to the people. I'm not actually a coronavirus truther. Let's just get that out of the way straight away. <laughs> no, I was just saying it surprised, and it surprised me, and perhaps it shouldn't have surprised me how uh, how many strange people are out there who believe it's all sort of a hoax. To um, I don't even know what 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 they think it's a hoax for, really. I, I, oh, 5G, like, that's the big conspiracy theory, isn't it? 5G, isn't it? Yeah. I can't even get started on that. Like that, This stuff hits way too close to in my private environment that I uh, can't even make fun of it anymore. It's honestly crazy. I, yeah, I, my brain can't compute that sort of nonsense. Yeah, because you, like, you have, exactly, you have to believe an amount of stupidity that like it's just hard to actually get to a point and say like well i believe that way more than every rational explanation mm. the internet yeah. has just broken people's brains hasn't it basically that's the problem <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> but it's yeah. allowing us to record this podcast so you know swings and rounds about that <laughs> anyway joining me Ian McCord, on today's one football podcast is nico hamer hey dan burke hello and joanna bueno hi should you wish to get in touch, tell us what you think of the podcast or unveil any sort of truths about coronavirus that, that we don't already know, the address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com or you can get onto iTunes, uh, leave a review, leave a comment, let us know how you think we're doing. Uh, we're back. It's been a long time. It's been a very long time. What is it, four weeks, six weeks? Something like that. Probably about eight or nine weeks, I would say. Is it that long? The last yeah, time we were on, so. last time we were on, Nico was talking about the end of German football, and it, it sort of he was right, really. <laughs> it was. It happened in a different way. But. <laughs> uh, so it's his fault. It, it's basically yeah, yeah. This whole thing is Nico's fault. We've unveiled the truth. That's that's what we've done today. But how have you all survived lockdown? What did you What did you learn about yourself? What was your self discovery? That's what I want to know. Nico, you go first. Well, to be very honest, um, I discovered that I'm just as lazy as I thought I am. Um, <laughs> no new skills, no new language, um, basically nothing but an uh, extraordinary amount of laziness. Dan? That's very honest. <laughs> yeah. Pr- pretty similar, to be honest. I mean, I remember when this, this all started, it kicked, kicked off and everyone was saying, uh, oh no, you know, this is going to have such an impact on my uh, hectic, exciting social life. What am I going to do? Stay in all the time and watch Netflix now. And it's like, some of us have been preparing for this for years. You know, I've, I've perfected the art of doing absolutely nothing. Nothing is my favorite thing to do. So I've, yeah. yeah, I've not really changed my habits whatsoever. I've been having, I've secretly been having quite a good time actually. I don't mind being far away from people. I actually don't think it's the worst thing that's ever happened to yeah. the world. No. no, I'm already in a different country, so I'm already far away from most of family and friends. So it didn't have such a huge impact on me. The lack of football, though, did. That was hard to survive. Well, you've just got your FIFA thing, haven't you, really? Exactly. So that's how I coped with it. I bought a PlayStation. <laughs> um, what did you I, I made it through all seven seasons of Mad Men what, what did anybody else do Tiger King yeah, yeah that's been the big uh, one The Last Dance is the other one that everyone's been watching haven't they oh yes. that's amazing that's great yes. I'm, I'm very sad because I haven't watched the two last episodes and they are the actual two last episodes so I'm kind of postponing right, yeah. that does we're he win gonna... in the end 
<laughs> it always wins. Well, the, the, the thing with it is, like, I'm, I'm a big basketball fan, and I never really liked Michael Jordan, but I think that documentary really helped me understand him a bit better. So I really appreciate that, appreciated that too. I was always more of an Iverson man. He seemed, he seemed a He's bit more cooler. kind of the underdog sort of. The thing is, like, MJ is just what it was, the, probably the most competitive person that has ever walked the earth. And that just makes it very difficult to be a likable character, I think. Oh, yeah. that's because you never met Ayrton Senna, so. <laughs> yeah, I never met MJ too, but uh, I just, <laughs> it's, it's just hard to like him, I think. While we're talking about sports documentaries, that Ayrton Senna one is the best, I think, of any sport documentary I've ever seen. I came out of it in floods of tears. And now this might be dangerous, but I think these are the same guys that then did the Maradona documentary. Yes, they did the Amy Winehouse one as well, I believe. Oh, which actually, yeah. like, which is supposed to be good, the Maradona one, for example. And like when I saw it, it was like, there's no chance I'm watching that. I don't want to see any more of Maradona after the last few years. But now everybody's been telling me it's good, so might have to check it. It's excellent, yeah. Anyway, actual football is back. Actual football with actual players and an actual ball, actual referees, actual whistle, actual assistants, but no actual fans. <laughs> How does everybody feel about watching football with no fans? It's like they're training, doesn't it? Yeah. Because you can hear everything. Them screaming, the coach screaming by the pitch, the, the players hitting the ball. You can hear every time they kick the ball. So to me, it feels like they're training a little bit. But uh, after last weekend, uh, I'm get, kind of getting used to it. Right before uh, football st uh, stopped, uh, when it was the first matches without the, the crowd, I found it very, very weird. But I think I'm kind of getting used to it now. Dan? Yeah, I mean, you must be used to it as a Man City fan. That was off the cuff, too. I didn't even plan that. <laughs> was it? Well, <laughs> uh, I mean, for, for me, like, do you think it really really matters the fact we're watching on TV anyway. Like, does it matter that much that there's not, not much of a crowd there? It kind of reminds me, like, a few years ago, I remember I went over to a friend's house to watch uh, Manchester United playing away at Stoke. And when I got there, he was connecting his subwoofer to the TV. And I was like, what are you doing? He was like, oh, it's always a really good atmosphere at Stoke. I'm, I'm plugging in the big speakers. <laughs> and I'm like, I can sort of see his point, but it's still a bit ridiculous. But, yeah, I think it is, like, particularly jarring to watch German football without fans because... You know, you're used to the kind of rhythmic chanting in, in, in German stadiums. Yeah. And like, I was watching the games at the weekend on a, an English feed, and it had Owen Hargreaves as the co-commentator. And his kind of, like, cadence was almost like a golf commentator. And I actually dozed off at one point. It was just, like, really relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> now, what you just said is, is uh, pretty much on point. Um, in Germany, you're so used to it that, for me, these games on the weekend, um, it felt like, I don't know, like early July in like southern, southern Austria at a training camp where they play each other, you know, that's like the fans at the, at the environment, they add the, the, the importance to it somehow, at least emotionally the importance. And that's just not given. And for me, um, it was actually kind of hard to take the games 100% serious. Uh, there was an interesting quote from uh, Marcus Artset, who is the director of media and communications at Gladbach. And he said that um, uh, some players said it was less hectic on the pitch, more matter of fact and fairer because nobody was playing to the gallery thinking they had to make certain gestures or tackles to please the crowd. I thought it was interesting. And right. I, I kind of, I have to wait a few more matches to prove my theory, but I had the impression that the players act out a lot less. Like they don't roll over the pitch like they usually do or they don't 
fake injuries or suffer so much because someone just touched their face or something like that. Like their acting skills, uh, they left it on the side. Yeah, I think to see that with Neymar. I think it's just, yes, it's too emotions. bad that the French league stopped because we could actually see some difference there. But I just think it's difficult with um, because obviously there's a lack of emotion without the fans, and that is probably one of the good sides of that. Um, that players tend to not do as much stupid stuff that you would do out of an emotion. So that's probably one of the, for me, few positive sides. Yeah, I mean, Marcus also said that, I say Marcus like I know, I don't know who he is, but it's an interesting quote, and he's close to the game. He said that players told us that it was far more exhausting than usual because of fewer interruptions and less time spent debating with the referee. In a normal game, the heated atmosphere leads to more arguments and the refs are quicker to blow their whistle as the crowd cry out in anger. We had a look at the, ah. net, we had a look at the net playing time and it was indeed up significantly. Mm. Oh, was it? Sure. Yeah. Well, that's what, was, Mark, that's what Marcus tells me. Okay, okay, because I was just about to say, well, probably um, they're just unfit after the long break. And that's why it was more exhausting. But if the, the playing time actually went up, then yeah, okay. But you could, tell that they were, you could tell that they were unfit and somewhat out yes. of touch. You could see it from like the first touch across a, lot of the, across a lot of the players. It took me 38 seconds in watching Eintracht Frankfurt to realize that the team is not fit. And you could see also from the belly of some of the players. Poor <laughs> <laughs> players, we shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't be uh, fat shaming them here. Uh, I wanted to know, out of all the social distancing aspects of the game, what was your favorite? Was it the celebrations, the subs, the bottles done in formations so that the players would know which ones to, to drink? The sex dolls in the stands in the stands in Korea, maybe. Oh god, that was another interesting one. Uh, for me, it was well, probably Dedrick Boyata completely uh, dismissing the social distancing rules and appearing to kiss Marco Grujic on, on Saturday. He said apparently that he was explaining a set piece to him, but it's like that's not really the point, Dedrick. You're not supposed to be that close to him anyway, are you? No, <laughs> especially after scoring a goal too. Yeah. No, I, I like so much the players that, you know, they, they can't really be that distance on the bench. So they took over the stands. I like that. But I think it's also a bit hypocritical because then they go on the pitch and they touch each other and they hug each other and they're marking each other. And, you know, there's a corner and you see like 20 guys hugging each other in the corner and inside the box. But when they're outside the box, when they are before they enter the pitch, they have to be in the stands so that they have to between each other yeah that's 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 a good point from my understanding everybody in every bundesliga stadium on a match day at the moment is tested and is tested negative so therefore these masks are nothing than just like to show that they know that you should be wearing masks um but my absolute favorite by far and i can't tell the game but in one of the games they show the close-up because they disinfect the balls mm, right every yeah. single ball gets disinfected and in one game they show the close-up of somebody disinfecting a ball with glass cleaner yeah, I <laughs> saw that, yeah. <laughs> it was probably so, just in the, in the glass cleaner bottle though wasn't it i don't think it was it, probably yes but yeah. hey I'm, I'm going i'm going with the other theory it was glass cleaner <laughs> yeah, I, I did like that they disinfected the balls. But there was one game, and I think they had a sort of, uh, you know those steps you get up to an aeroplane? They had that. There was a Leipzig. Oh, that was Leipzig. a Leipzig. They had, yeah, they had yeah, a gangway, yeah. a gangway at Leipzig. Yeah. Quite Gateway, nice. gangway, something like that. Nico, <laughs> uh, you're German. What was the overall feeling throughout the country for the weekend? Was it relief that it <laughs> went well, or, or what was it? Yeah, kind of, kind of. Um, Obviously, everybody has an opinion on that. Um, in general, though, it was uh, overwhelmingly positive. 
and um, a bit too positive for me, actually, from my understanding. But in general, it was pretty positive. And obviously, Bundesliga was very aware of the chance that they have with being first here out of the top leagues, right? And just by the by the pure numbers over the globe, it was for the Bundesliga an insane success. And that they could reach this level, um, that they could get to that point where they first and be as successful without, let's be straight up here, completely fucking it up because there was a chance that could happen. Um, I think, therefore, it was a pretty successful weekend. Was, how much of it was driven by the desire to be first back and the kind of kudos that would come with that? Well, nobody will, say, will tell you that it was driven by that. My personal opinion is it's 100% only that. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, not, no. it's, not, it's not what they're going to put in the press release, though, is it? Exactly. They could have, look, every other country, other leagues, other countries find ways to end the season without playing and the clubs will still probably not go bankrupt, or at least hopefully. Um, the Bundesliga would have found a way if they were looking for it, but there, there was never an option. It was always the idea to play on, and especially since the uh, virus situation in Germany is quite good, they felt like we can be first here. That is a big chance. And the clubs agreed on that too. Like It's not that it was like just the DFL or the DFB. It was the clubs too. As for the actual football, uh, let's start with the big derby, Schalke Dortmund. How long did it take for anybody to make the Schalke <laughs> null fear joke? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was done during the game. It was pretty done <laughs> yeah. during the game. Also, you know, Schalke's defender social distancing joke that was also out there. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But also, Schalke, whenever they concede four, that, that gag is getting dangerously close. So it's, it's oh, always, always around. They always, I, think they always the other teams, out, yeah. I think the other teams stop when they score the fourth goal because they don't want to ruin the joke. You know, that's not so far a fifth goal. <laughs> yeah, never want to ruin a good joke. Uh, what did we make of the game? Nico, you want to go first? Um, yeah, we, I can go first. Um, Dortmund came, came out surprisingly good, especially considering that they had some injuries and some key players missing. But the Dortmund squad is um, insanely deep. They paid a lot of money in the last summer for a deep squad in particular. Um, and now they can be in situations where they have like three of their starters in central midfield injured and then they bring in Moda Hu who played six games. Only one started this season so far. And it's one of the best players on the pitch. He would probably start for 14 other Bundesliga teams and in Dortmund, he barely plays a role. So um, Dortmund came out on fire and Schalke was just as shocking as they were before the, the entire mm. outbreak. Dan, what did you make of it all? Yeah, Schalke was just dreadful, weren't they, really? <laughs> I think, what, is there eight games without a win they've gone now since before the break? So it's, uh, they just... The defending was atrocious. I kind of want to go back to what we were saying earlier, whether like the lack of fans in the crowd kind of makes people a little less on edge when they're playing. Um, there was uh, an incident with Nevin Subotic against Bayern when he fouled someone. And yeah. you kind of think, would he have been that clumsy and that sort of slow to react uh, to give that penalty away if, the, if he'd had like the crowd sort of, you know, shouting down his neck? I don't know, really. But the whole thing, it just, it just, the game sort of didn't really feel like they have the kind of intensity of, of usual games because... Especially the derby. Especially the derby, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. You would not know you were watching a derby there, were you? It was weird. And for Same. a club like Schalke 04, who has a decent uh, record in a derby in the last few years, actually it is like compared to Dortmund being the superior team for years now, their record is really, really strong. It felt like they really missed the fans. What went so wrong for Schalke, Nico? Is it just a case of them continuing on their fairly stable downward trend uh, since before the break? 
or was they just, it, or did Dortmund just make them look bad? What was it? It was a mix of both, obviously, like it is most of the time. But Schalke started this this season being hyper efficient. So they won games that they should have never, never won. And now they're not efficient anymore, like not at all. And now they're actually shocking. And um, they kind of tricked us in believing that they are a better team than they are by just, yeah, being efficient. Somebody was tweeting about uh, Weston McKenney uh, in the Schalke midfield. That is what the United States imagines its role in the world to be, a lone hero valiantly <laughs> holding the holding their shit show together, but is ultimately unable to save the helpless from themselves. That pretty much sums it up, I would say. Uh, the, uh, who stood out for Dortmund? And who's going to be... It's, there's one player in particular, I would say. No? Julia Brandt, isn't it? Julia yeah. Brandt, wow. The main fella. Has he been linked with the Premier League yet? Um, well, it's, about, it's just starting right now. By the way, Brandt means fire in, in German, so that was, he certainly was on fire this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, also, I would also point out uh, Guerrero, who I think was once again amazing and is one of the most criminally underrated footballers in at least the Bundesliga, if not world football. Now, why was, where was Sancho? Why didn't Sancho play? He's, he's a big deal. Um, he had some muscle stuff right before the game, right? I don't even know. I just heard like on Friday or Saturday morning that he was out. Yeah. Dortmund had such a, such a string of injuries that at some point I stopped looking at the names. I'm surprised <laughs> there were more injuries, you know, just considering nothing and then going back to an intense, an intense game. I would have thought there would have been a lot more. Just, you know. There, there actually were quite a few, but the, many clubs basically took out players before the game to make sure that they don't get injured. So there were many players not playing because of some, like, not real injuries, but some difficulties they had in the, in the prior week, so they didn't even start. So that's how they probably uh, uh, took care of that. And Schalke made history. I think, weren't Schalke the first team ever to make five subs? Yeah, yeah. yeah there you go. Remember the <laughs> name. could have made them all exactly. half time, couldn't they? Really? They were. <laughs> <laughs> what are the there's some restrictions on, on when you make them is that is that true or did I just make that up there's three three um, intervals per game that you can make them so you're not wasting loads of time towards the end of matches so you can make five subs but only three times per match basically ah yes okay uh, Nico how long before Wagner gets sacked uh, difficult I mean okay Schalke fans are going to hate that but Schalke has been looking looking for their own Jurgen Klopp for years and um they felt like they got him in David Wagner. And they felt like they had him in Tedesco before Wagner. And they will try to avoid sacking him. And by that, basically saying, okay, yes, once again, we were wrong. Um, so I think they're going to desperately try to make it till summer. Um, we're going to hear a lot of, yeah, you can't compare the situation right now. It's a different situation, special situation. Uh, and they're going to try to make it till summer. And then they'll, they'll probably see if they still feel like they can do it with Wagner. But also, it's just not a good squad Schalke has. Why don't they just go for uh, Jurgen Klopp? Wouldn't that, <laughs> wouldn't that work out? Yeah, he was in talks to other clubs, uh, for example, to Hamburg. Um, but, and he wanted to join Hamburg, but they thought he was looking too messy for Hamburg. Um, so he jo- signed Dortmund back then. Wow. <laughs> Another monumental mistake by Hamburg. <laughs> Who would have thought it? Have you heard of a guy called Robert Lewandowski? The name rings a bell. Sorry, yeah. who is that Tell again? <laughs> He's a TikTok influencer, isn't it? He's something like oh, that. God. He's a TikTok influencer. <laughs> he's something on TikTok. But he's also uh, reached a 40-goal milestone in each of his last five seasons. 
when are we going to stop fronting and give him his flowers? What are we going to do, people? Is now the time? Come on. I think it's about time to stop disrespecting him for not playing in the Liga or the Premier League. Um, I think it's very difficult to find more reasons why he's not the best number nine in the world right now. And um, I think I said it on this podcast uh, early this season. At this point, he it feels like he's getting better from year to year and he does feel like he should not be allowed in the Bundesliga because he's just too good. I think the fact that he didn't move to buy for millions and millions of euros kind of underrates him a little bit, gets him to be a bit underrated by people, you know, because he's not the 100 million, 100 million euro striker or something like that. John, where did you put him in your battle? It, it does play a role, if you ask me, yeah. I think, yeah, we did, we did a, a countdown of the top 25 players in the world recently. And I think Lewandowski came sort of sixth or seventh, and we got quite a few complaints about that. I was surprised actually by how much uh, sort of passion he, he seems to inspire in people. One um, of them was I mean, from me, I should say. In terms of, was it really? Mm. What you, you think, where do you think he stands on the, on the best overall players in the world then? Right now, second. Second, second. or third. Second, Ooh, you think he's better than Kevin De Bruyne and Ronaldo. No, I've just remembered De Bruyne. He's <laughs> I, I think sixth in terms Why of would the Kevin De Bruyne be number two? Like, I voted Messi one. No, this is be- the best players in the world. Best players in the world right now. I voted Messi one. I voted uh, De Bruyne two. And I think Lewandowski or Mbappe was third. I can't remember off the top of my head. I, I can get my ranking up here somewhere. Mm. You, you, you can go ahead, Dan, and, and make me feel like a fraud. I think, <laughs> I mean, I think in terms of out and out number nines, he's probably, he probably is the best. I think maybe only Sergio Aguero or Karim Benzema come close to him at the moment. Probably part of the problem with Lewandowski that he doesn't quite get the respect he deserves is that he's not played in the Premier League or La Liga. Some people see the Bundesliga as a bit of a weak league and perhaps he needs to test himself in another league to truly sort of earn people's respect. I don't know, really. And he's kind of approaching his peak at this point in his career. So if he does want to get this sort of uh, you know, love that perhaps he deserves, then maybe he needs to uh, move somewhere else in the next couple of seasons. Not if you ask Lewandowski. If you ask him, um, he continuously and re- he keeps on repeating, the best Lewandowski is yet to come. I haven't reached my peak. That's like, he's like a broken record at this point. In every interview, he says exactly that. He's always like, I'm, I'm getting better every day. You haven't seen me at full power yet. And so, does sound like a threat to the Bundesliga, at least. He would say that, though, wouldn't he? Yeah, but he, he keeps on saying it so often that I even start believing him now because, you know... That's how it is these days. You just have to be loud and say something very often. Then it's a truth. Uh, Joanna, you had something to say? Yeah, I think it's not just the fact that he plays in the Bundesliga and Bundesliga is a bit more underrated than Premier League or La Liga, but also the fact that the Bundesliga lately has been so dominated by Bayern that Bayern players are being you know, not considered as good as they are because I, it's not just Lewandowski. For example, I love Thiago. I think he is an amazing midfielder. He would be on the top five midfielders of the last five, six, maybe eight years. And nobody talks about him. So I think it's more like, you know, the team is so good and so much better than the others. And they've been winning, what, it's like eighth time in a row that they won the league that is, it, they just don't consider Bayern players to be so good as they would you know, eight years ago. Iron Robin sort of suffers from that a little bit, I would have thought. Yeah, definitely. Robin or Hibiri when he was still playing. And I think nowadays we have like Kimmich or Thiago that are wonderful players. And you make a list of your, you know, best 11 or even best 22 of, of you know, current seasons, this season or two, three last seasons. You just don't put them anymore. Do you want to know who my top 
uh, picks for our Ballon d'Or ranking were? I can give you my top five. Yes, Go please. Yes, please. Okay. okay, so in five, I had Van Dijk. Uh, four, I had De Bruyne. Three, I had Mbappe. Two, Lewandowski. And one, Messi. I don't know what I was smoking that day, but it was obviously something strong. I had Sancho at six, Ronaldo in seven, Firmino eight. Ronaldo not even top five. No, I, I, that's what I'm telling you. I was, I was obviously doing something crazy that day. Uh, yeah, Haaland nine, <laughs> Mane ten, Ter Stegen eleven. Uh, who did I have? Well, I, do you want to know where I had Neymar? I actually put yes. I put Tadic ahead of Neymar. Isn't that ridiculous? I put Son ahead of Neymar. The next Neymar was in twenty ninth for me. Everyone ahead of Neymar, of course. No, I agree with you. Everyone ahead of him, especially the last, what, three seasons that he's been injured half the season. So yeah, put everyone ahead of him. I completely agree with you. That's something I learned over the last few weeks. The more I talk to people, like Brazilian people and like people that used to love Neymar, like there's some strong hate growing over the last few years uh, against him. Um, and he's not even in South America or in Brazil rated as highly anymore. Joanne is the president of that, uh, Andy. Yeah, I have to say that we did run uh, the best Brazilians of the last five years across our Brazilian desk, and we got uh, votes from all of the editors. And uh, Neymar had number one, and I was like super pissed telling guys that I would you know, fire whoever voted for Neymar or something like that. But it's true, he is really, really talented. I would just include him yeah. in the top five, you know, the top players of the la top Brazilian players of the last five years, because in the last five years, he did accomplish something. But not in the, in this season, in last season, in the World Cup particularly, But in my uh, list of that, we, we did, uh, I think we came up to top, top 20 of uh, Brazilian players of the last five seasons. He was number three for me. So I had Marcelo on number two and Casemiro number one because, you know, they won, what, three, four Champions League each? So you Casemiro? You are joking if you had Casemiro at number yeah, one. Yeah, he's a key player. He, he is a key player yeah. in Zidane's team. Real Madrid only won three Champions League in a row after Zidane put him in the team because he let Toni Kroos and Modric get out. So he changed Real Madrid completely. He's a key player. You can't argue. But that's like saying Dunga is better than Kaká. I'm not even, you know, we all love Dunga, but he's not better than Kaká. You know, come on. <laughs> Casimiro is your number one. You can't see but it because... But it's the last I, five years. You can't see it because I've turned off my camera to make my internet work better, but I threw away a pen when you said Casimiro. My goodness. <laughs> well, it's just the last five years. I'm not arguing who is the most talented. I'm arguing who is the most important and the best player of the last five years, so... Okay. You know, yeah, I can't really put Gabi go because he only had one great season. With Flamengo. Uh, let's get back onto the uh, Bundesliga <laughs> actual football talking. Nico, neither of them had saw, uh, saw RB Leipzig. Yes. I saw the conference, but they, the draw pretty much rules them out of the title race, you'd imagine? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, yeah, Leipzig is, is in, I wouldn't even say like necessarily bad form, but there's something happening to them where I think this young team and the young coach, they can't really like point a finger at it yet. Because technically, they only was, lost to Eintracht Frankfurt since the, uh, since the beginning of this year, but they also draw, drew like five times. Um, At the moment, it looks and feels like they lost a bit of the killer instinct they had in the first part of the season. And obviously, now it's a crucial part of the season. And yes, I would say that they are 
at the moment, if it hasn't happened yet, dropping out of the title race, yeah. And uh, you wanted to make a point, uh, which we've uh, bypassed really, but you wanted to make a point about uh, the European opposition and Bayern Munich. Yeah, Bayern, uh, um, yeah, this is just a feeling that I have, and I have to have talked to a few people, and few people share the thought. Um, now that we know that the Champions League is probably going to be finished at some point, or at least they're going to try, the European competition should be scared of Bayern, because it is this... You know, you remember early in the 2000s when Bayern had the nickname, especially in Spain, La Bestia Negra, where um, this team of players, obviously good players, but not nearly as good players as Real had back in the days, would come to the Bernabeu and win there for some reason. And you would watch the game and feel like, yeah, they completely deserve to win. And Bayern are on their way back to this weird juggernaut where you can't really tell what makes them as strong. But I think they're one of the best teams in Europe right now. Okay. And did you want to mention anything from the, the big game on, on Monday night where Leverkusen hammered Werder Bremen? Um, I mean, Leverkusen, German media just likes to overreact as much as any other media. And we already have the new Kai Havertz. Old Kai Havertz <laughs> just turned 20, so we need a new one. Um, and he's called <laughs> Florian Wirtz. And he started he's, for Leverkusen when they completely crashed Werder Bremen, who are tragic. And he's, he's 12 years 17, old. 17 and 15 days. Goodness me. Third youngest ever Bundesliga player. Goodness me. No, but there's nothing to mention besides Werder Bremen. They, they're trying to keep their coach, Kofeld, who we already learned looks like Dan. Um, and if you ask me, that's a horrible mistake and it will cost them the league. What, looking like Dan or...? <laughs> <laughs> no, keeping the coach though. Keeping the coach. Uh, okay, any other talking points from the German weekend? Or should we, should we move on to something else, Nico? Let, nothing from me, at least, from my side. Nothing from you, okay. Uh, so Dan and Joanna, let's start off with a nice easy one for you. Two easy ones. When is the Premier League coming back and should, should the Premier League come back given the state of the situation in England right now? Uh, well, there's a bit of breaking news just, just come in, actually. They've just announced the Premier League. Uh, they've said they've, they've tested 748 players and club staff for COVID-19 and six have tested positive from three different clubs. So, I mean, according to the Premier League statement, it says that the players and club staff who have tested positive will now self-isolate for a period of seven days. But I would have thought that the whole club would have to quarantine isn't that the rule i don't even know what the rules are anymore it's it all seems so confusing uh so should it come back dan that's an, an even bigger uh, question um i don't know really i mean clubs have returned to, to training small groups today probably looking at least another four to six weeks before it comes back i mean i, I think bundesliga clubs went back to train on 8th of april and played their first matches on the 16th of may so you know, it's, it's going to be a little while. Whether it comes back on, whether it should come back on, I don't know really. It's, you know, the infection rate is much higher in the UK than it has been in Germany, for example. Um, the latest figures suggest between 600 and 1,000 people becoming infected daily in Germany, while in the UK it's close to 20,000 per day. So the climate is a lot different. You know, the, the health service is under strain in the UK already. And I think putting football matches on is going to require ambulance staff and police services and whether they can justify that, I don't know. I think they're going to try everything they can to get it back because, you know, they don't want to miss out on all this TV money. But um, it's not uh, it's not looking good, I don't think. Joanna, should it come back? I think even the Bundesliga took a very rash decision to come back, even if Germany is one of the countries that has dealt, I think, the best way possible or the best way compared to the other countries with the coronavirus and, you know, infection rates are low. Uh, and took quarantine really early on. 
so even for Germany, I think it was a bit too, I don't know, too rash to, to, to come back with football like that. I, I would still, I would say as, as a person, I would still hold on for a few more weeks at least, or maybe one month, maybe two months, I don't know. But uh, as a football fan, of course, I'm very happy that the Bundesliga came back and I'm looking forward to the Premier League, to the Serie A, to La Liga, to all of those. But that's very, uh, my selfish side speaking, I don't really think that, that there's any conditions of football being back, even if, if there's, no foot, there's no people in the crowd. Because as you see, you know, players have contact in the beach all the time. It's impossible for you to say, you know, uh, avoid uh, hugging someone in the, in the box when there's a corner. It doesn't exist in competitive football. So. Mm-hmm. Even if everyone's taking all the, the measures and people are quarantining and players are not leaving home and, you know, coaches or people that left the house without a mask to go shopping, they're not allowed to be on the pitch. It's still 22 people, maybe 30 people at the end of the match that are that have you know, close contact with each other, plus cameramans and coaches and staff and physiotherapists. It's a lot of people going there. I, I think it's not the wisest decision but there's this huge commercial pressure that nobody mentions as official but i'm, I'm guessing there is this huge commercial pressure so uh, i guess it will be back at some point yeah i agree with john and i feel like um look let the bundesliga let's see how they do let's see let's see how the germans do let's see let's we we've seen how to bring it back now let's see how it actually works over a few weeks let's see where the mistakes are let's see where the system breaks because it will at least you know might not break but there will be problems let's learn from that first and then bring it back secure i feel like nobody should rush it right now obviously there is a lot of pressure from multiple sides to bring football back in every league but a let me assure you to all my premier league fan listeners you're not going to lose the position to the bundesliga that's not happening anytime soon so um just don't don't rush it the uh now that you've uh, on i did not been rudely interrupted by you nico i can read my troy dini quote that i wanted to get to uh, he says, so if it's not safe enough for fans to be inside a stadium, why should, we be, uh, why should it be safe for players to be in there? At corners, Watford have 11 men back, so you're talking about 18 or 19 men in a penalty area. That's not social distancing. I, I think Didi also had some quotes today, Dan, you might, you might help me out here, that he's, has he refused to come back to training? Is that right? For, over the health of yeah. his son? Basically, yeah, he's said that he, he's concerned about infecting his son, who's already had a history of breathing difficulties, and he also pointed out that the virus is four times more likely to infect uh, black, Asian, and mixed ethnicity people. Um, so I, th- I think it's it's really, I mean, he, he, he's not afraid to speak his mind, Troy, Troy Dini, and I think it'll be interesting to see if other players kind of follow him and, and protest against the decision as well. Um, I mean, it's interesting what he said about the, the corners and that kind of stuff as well. It's, it reminds me a bit of like when you go to the supermarket and they have these um, lines on the floor at the checkouts to keep you two metres apart from each other. But when you're actually doing your shopping, you're passing by people closely all the time because otherwise it would take you three hours to buy a, bo- a bottle of milk, couldn't it? And I just I, like supermarkets aren't equipped for football, uh, for, for, for coronavirus or social distancing. I don't think football is either, really. So I think there's just so many kind of like contradictions that we're just, we're just ignoring. Um, for the sake of, of getting football back on, and we all want to want to see it back, but you know, I'm I'm a little bit skeptical about how things are going to go in, in Germany. 
I think Tony Crows was saying last week that if it can't work in Germany, it can't work anywhere. And, um, you know, it only takes, you know, a, a, a few more infections of players and the whole house of cards starts tumbling down, doesn't it? So uh, uh, we're not out of the woods yet on this one, I don't think. Say you're a star centre-back for Manchester City, Dan, big, on big money. Uh, and mm. the club say to you, hey, we're going to go back. What would you say? I mean, I would be very, very sceptical about it and very cautious if it was up to me. Um, I'm surprised that there hasn't been more objections. I mean, there was an interesting quote from Danny Rose, the Newcastle player last week, where they asked him about, um, what about the nation's morale? And he basically said, I couldn't give a fuck about the nation's morale. It's not important. It's, it's more important to, you know, protect and safeguard the well-being of the players and club staff and everyone else who's involved with it. You know, you could... We don't know what the long-term lasting effects of, of coronavirus are. It could seriously harm players' careers in, in future if they, if, they, if they get it and even if they recover from it. So, mm. yeah. Joanna, you're a uh, tenacious right-back going up and down the field for Sheffield United. Um, and the club say to you, hey, we want you back playing. Do you say yes or no? Well, that depends. If I have a 100 million uh, euro contract and I get, I can say no, I will say no. But if I'm depending on my, you know, uh, minimum wage to support the family, then I guess I have to go. I have to say, though, that I think that Dini's uh, sentence does not make a lot of sense because you're talking about fans. It's like 80,000 people hugging each other at all times through two hours and you know it's different than 22 or 30 players not exactly hugging each other all the time but you know being close contact and you get to test all these players weekly monthly daily and it's players it's of course it's a, a much smaller amount of people it's like what 300 people that takes in a stadium for the match to take place so i don't think he made a lot of sense there but i do get his point in the end and of course, you cannot test 80,000 Borussia Dortmund fans before they get into the stadium. If there comes this technology, then yeah, fine. Just open the gates, let people in. Great. In the meantime, no. Um, but as I said, I, I wouldn't really, if it was up to me to vote for the league is back or not, I would vote for no for safety reasons. Uh, because I, I mean, I, I, I am conscious that I'm taking precautions and that I'm washing my hands and then when I go to the supermarket I take my clothes off and put them to wash but is the guy who is playing next to me doing that as well you never know uh, how do you feel about playing right back for Sheffield United though that, I think that's a pretty good move for you know well during the <laughs> Champions League qualifying uh, um, part of the table so I'm feeling pretty good now okay well done on your season so far uh, what happens if it doesn't come back what happens? Do Liverpool get the title? Uh, I mean, that seems like the easy part to me. A, a lot of Liverpool fans seem kind of understandably concerned about the season being kind of declared null and void and then not getting the title. I would be absolutely astonished if that happened. And if that happens, you know, the 25 points clear at the top of the table by, by any stretch of the imagination, they're champions. Um, but I do feel sorry for them because whatever happens now, they've been kind of robbed of that moment where they lift the trophy in the stadium and they parade it around the streets of Liverpool. Um, I think Richard Masters, the Premier League chief exec, was saying today that they are going to try and have some sort of so, uh, trophy presentation, whatever happens, but it's not going to be quite the same. Um, and I asked a Liverpool supporting mate of mine whether he even cares about winning the title anymore with, with you know, the, all things considered. And he sort of said, yeah, I do. You know, we want to get the monkey off our back. We've not won it for 30 years, but it's not really going to be how they imagined it at all, really. So I, feel, I do feel a bit sorry for them in that regard. Poor Liverpool. 
of all the things, you wait so long to win the league. You're that close, and then a yeah. pandemic breaks out. Oh, I do. I, yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel sorry for them too. Um, any update on the championship? Uh, league one, league two. Well, the league two season has been curtailed already. Um, so they've oh, yeah, they've agreed with immediate effects, and that's over. Table's going to be decided on a points per game basis, where with three teams going up as usual. Um, and interesting, they said they're still planning to have the playoffs for the fourth remaining promotion spot, which I think is a bit strange if you're going to end the season. But um, what do I know, really? Um, I mean, for me, I think for the the lower leagues and even the Premier League, the simple solution would be finish the season now. You could have three promotions uh, and no relegations. So you'd have, for, for example, the Premier League would have 23 teams in it next season. And then there would be six relegations next season. You could start the new season as it usually would start. But it's all about this TV money. This, you know, They've speculated that the Premier League could lose £1 billion in revenue if the season isn't completed. And they've already said that they're going to have to pay back, I think it was £340 million. Um, because the, the, the fixtures haven't been fulfilled in the way that was agreed. So that's, you know, money rules everything at the end of the day, isn't it? And I think that's why they're so desperate to get it back on and haven't just called the season over. Six relegations. That's yeah. amazing. Big great fun, wouldn't it? I'm all I want to see that season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all about that then. Um, uh, Joanna, you are not currently located in Germany. You are in the Netherlands. What did they, they made a pretty swift decision over there to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, there, there had been already one big league, you know, one of the top five leagues that had already decided to end the season and let's see what happens next year. Let's worry about football uh, after the summer. So they kind of said, well, you know, if Liga is doing it, why can't we? And I think also there's a lot less pressure from TV, from commercial partners, from, you know, TV money and all of that. So uh, it's, a, it's a much easier place for you to take a decision in the Netherlands to just cancel the season and even not give away uh, champions and, and uh, first place like Ligue 1 did, you know. But at the same time, uh, there's clubs that are not very happy about it. Utrecht uh, was almost qualifying for uh, Europa League. They're the final of the of the cup. And they had one last match because they postponed the match so that Ajax could play uh, league, the Europa League. So they're pretty mad about it. Even sure. if it's, it's Dutch football and it's not so much money money involved you can't really take a decision like that like end the season no promotions no qualifyings no champions no nothing and expect no consequences also i mean we are contractually obliged on this podcast to support psv uh but uh, <laughs> uh but it's ix we're not <laughs> champions is that, that that's my understanding yes they're not champions there's no champions <laughs> uh, and then with uh, with the French league down, I think PSG just they were just given they were going to win it anyway. Didn't really make it. Yeah, sense. well, the, the Lyon president Jean-Michel Aulas, who uh, again a bit like Troy Deeney, is never afraid to speak his mind, is absolutely furious about it, and I think he's trying to petition the other clubs to kind of pr- protest the decision. And his sort of rationale for it is that they're going to continue with the Champions League at some point. In fact, the, the latest talk on that is that they're going to. Uh, the Champions League is going to have a uh, one-off matches for the quarterfinals, and then they're going to have like a final four tournament in uh, Istanbul in August. So he's yeah. basically saying you have to continue playing in the Champions League because they've got Juventus in the second leg, and we finished our season and everyone else is carrying on. We're going to be so un- underprepared for it um, that it's just not going to be fair. And you can kind of kind of understand this point there, really. Yeah. So I think uh, maybe they were a little bit hasty to to finish the league and season. I don't know. 
they did it did it did seem like a bit of a panic move. They were like, okay, let's just get rid of this. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thomas said recently to us that uh, the French league decided to take this uh, you know decision, hoping that the other leagues will follow up. And now everybody's talking about getting back, so they're pretty much <laughs> on their own. Yeah. Well done, France. You've done it again. <laughs> okay. Anything else uh, any of you feel the need to mention? Before we wrap Don't think so. Up? Perhaps you could spit some bars with your new gangster microphone to finish the oh, show. I mean, we, we didn't, we have recorded this on Zoom and apologies to anybody who's actually made it this far with this sort of audio <laughs> quality. Uh, myself and Dan and Joanna tested this uh, the other day. Uh, were we all in testing it? Who was testing it? We were testing it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Dan, Dan, again, I wish we had a video, but we're not doing video until I get my hair cut. But the, the, <laughs> Dan has a handheld microphone, a bit like a, I guess like a comedian, right? Yeah, like a stand-up Jerry Seinfeld or something. He, yeah, yeah. He's just like Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he inspired me to go out and order one, but the quickest one I could get is gold. So I have that kind of gold microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but it works. It works, although I had to go through a couple of tests with Joanna before <laughs> to, even get it, to get it going. Uh, but if that's it, I'll say my thanks to Joanna and Nico and Dan. And we'll be back next week, if this sounds okay. Let's hope it does. Should you wish to get in touch in the meantime, you can listen or you can, well, you can email. I'm, God, I'm so out of touch here. This is bad. Uh, <laughs> should you miss us in the meantime, you can listen to the back catalog on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast hit. And if you want to get in touch, to, if you want to get in touch, the address of this podcast is And if you, again, if you've made it this far, thanks very much. We'll, we'll try and put this out for next week.